Did that which is good, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we come humbly before you, longing for spiritual food and for your word to continue to nourish us in our living, that it is not just instructional, but is foundational to our being and our identity as your children. So Holy Spirit, speak through these words, these humble words, that it is not my words, but it's your truth. God, encourage, exhort, even convict us that we may be, be spurred to continue to walk like Christ and to seek his face wherever we go. Thank you for the community gathered. Bless them now, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, I asked a few uh, children uh, if they would be willing to share what are some things that you want to do but you have a hard time doing it. And so here's some of the videos that you'll see in the bottom corner. It's hard for me to put my clothes away. Bye. Bye. Myself. I'm having a hard time cleaning under my desk. Anything else? I'm also cleaning under my, cleaning my room. Okay. The things I'm having trouble is um, paying attention and not using the same, not using two things at once and cleaning my room, and that's it. So children are not the only ones that struggle with doing what they want to do, but they can't do it, or doing, not doing the things they should be doing. Everyone listening right now at home, if we're honest with ourselves, Children are brave enough to share it, but we all have the same issues. And so 
we struggle with this issue of how do we live this life that we want to live for God, and how do we stop doing what we don't want to do anymore? And Paul, in Romans 7, answers this, and it's plainly, this is human nature, even for those who are born into Christ. And so, in Romans 7, we'll be asking this question, what is it about us, and how does Paul give light to the hope for those like us who struggle with this? And you find Paul being so transparent. Usually pastors, they come up here, they preach, and it's really hard for us to show our vulnerability, and we always kind of look like we have our life together, but that's not true. And from Paul to all the spiritual leaders, we struggle with sin and flesh just like everyone else. And so how do we find encouragement to do and live a holy life that is pleasing to God? And so that's what Romans 7 will be showing. So Paul begins his chapter in the beginning, which we did not read, with an analogy. And the analogy is this. When a woman is married to a man and she decides to live with another man while she's married, that would be called adultery. That would be uh, sinful. But if the husband passes away for whatever reason, and she's a widow, and she remarries and lives with another man, that's not sinful. She's free from the bondage or from the connection with her first husband, and so she remarries. So Paul is trying to say, in the same way, all of us, you and I listening, are born into this world in bondage to sin and in bondage to the law. And we can't break free from it. It reveals to us that we are sinners. The only way we can break free from that is unless we die to ourselves through Jesus Christ. And so Paul is making a great visual. You can't just do religious activities and break from sin. You can't just start living, I want to be a good person, love my neighbor, and be kind to everybody. That's what it's all about. That's a great way to live, but the problem of sin is that you can't break free from that unless there's a death. And so Paul says in verse 6, those who are born again in Christ are those who die to sin and live in what he says, new way of the Spirit. This is where we get some terms like born again, rebirth, baptism, new life. And so they have transferred, this is what Christianity is. We've transferred our bondage from sin and death and we transfer that bondage to enjoy and, and great love to Jesus Christ, a good master. And so in today's society, I find in both in the church as well as outside the church, a very shallow thinking of Christianity. And so this is what the shallow thinking sounds like. Uh, someone says, a Christian says, you know, Christianity is, is I was going to hell, but Jesus died for me. And now I could go to heaven and I can live in eternity fishing and just living in heaven forever. And so although that's not untrue, it is so clear that when we looked at Romans chapter 1 through 7, the gospel is far, far greater, bigger, deeper, richer than just Christianity saying we go to heaven by saying a prayer and believing in Jesus. In other words, the gospel affects how we live now 
not just where we're going later. Put, put it another way, the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't merely change our destination. It brings transformation from the inside out of what our loves and master is. So some people say like, hey, I'm going to heaven. How? Well, because Jesus died for me. Great. And the person says, you know what? I could carry on life the way I want to, but at the end of it, I know I'll be going to heaven. And Paul would say, that's not the gospel, and that's not why Jesus died for us. So apart from Christ, though, all of this life, no matter how good we want to live, Romans chapter 1 through 7 is showing us we are wretched and dead. And so Paul continues in verse 7. Because the law brings to light sin, and sin brings to death, is the law a bad thing? And he says, no, don't be confused. What brings death, eternal death, spiritual death to you, it's not the law of God. It's always been sin. The only thing the law does is shed light on it. This past week, I was on a road trip and drove cross-country, and thankfully, I have a rental car, so they're not pieces of junk cars that I drove when I was in high school. And in high school, I had cars where the check engine light, yellow light, the red light, blue light, all these lights would pop up when I'm driving, and that's not a good sign. That means something's wrong with your engine. And all these lights are not the enemy. They're indicators that there's a bigger problem. But ignorant young teenage guy that I was, I got sick of seeing these lights, so I put tape over the dashboard so I don't have to see these lights anymore. Did that take care of the problem? No, it just covered up the warning lights, indicating a bigger problem. And so the law of God continues to highlight that our sin is greatly sinful. The law of God, the word of God, highlights to people who are in denial of their wretchedness before a holy God that we are sinners. And so we could cover things up, we could hide it, we could try to act like things are good. But we know that the problem is bigger than just sweeping it under the rug. And so this takes us to this thought that today, a lot of people say the Bible is offensive. The Bible is so ancient. The Bible is antiquated. The Bible in there, I can't be a Christian. The things in there that are offensive. But I want to just ask us, friends, if you could just humor me and just those who feel that way. If the Bible points out, for example, things like, Adultery is bad. Neglecting your elderly parents is depraved. Or that the love of money is the root of all evil and it creates greed and people stabbing each other in the back, literally or figuratively sometimes, for money. And these messages indicate to us this message that, boy, I, I'm not living the way I should. That guilt is not a condemning guilt. That's the law doing its job, convicting us. There's a better way to live. It's the check engine light for your soul that God is flashing to say, hey, we have a sin problem. And so what a lot of people do today is instead of saying, God, I repent and I turn to you, we sweep it under the rug, and we don't want accountability. We don't want God to judge us. We don't want to be judged. We want to live free, it, enjoying our sin. And Paul says, that is death. And so the 
the craziest part about it is the great irony of the Bible is the Bible was given to us not to condemn us, but the Bible was given to us as good news to those who are already condemned. John 3, 17, Jesus says, I have not to condemn the world, but to save the world, but they already stand condemned. And so the Bible is giving us the way out not to make us feel condemned and suffocate, but because we are in this condition, how do we get out of it? So the law brings light to sin. And now the Apostle Paul gets really transparent. And verse 15, this is what he says, For I do not understand my own actions. Just pause right there. <laughs> Have you ever said that? I've said that. Why did I just do that? Maybe you yelled at someone. Maybe you, you lost a fuse. Maybe you, you, you made a mistake that you're thinking, what made me do that? That's what Paul is saying. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, some of you, it could be simply as, why did I eat that extra Twinkie at 12 o'clock at night? Why did I, you know, eat that chocolate cake, second helping? Why don't I exercise more? But Paul is not talking about exercise and being kind and better habits. What he's talking about is, how do I live a holy obedient life to God? How do I fully give myself to Jesus Christ as he's given himself to me? I keep doing the things I don't want to do. It keeps wrestling with. And so Paul says he wants his life to be devoted to Christ as he writes in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want my life to be Christ, but there are actions in my life that doesn't look like Christ. So Paul finds himself doing the very thing he hates. And we don't know the details. I don't want to speculate what his struggles or sin may be in his flesh. But here's the point. You ready for the point? The point of what Paul is saying is, even those who have been baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, who put their trust in Christ and have committed their life to Christ, have serious struggles inside with the flesh. Now, for some of you, like, yeah, that's duh. But I think we need to highlight that because some of you became Christians and you still wrestle with your old nature and you're thinking, I'm a terrible Christian because I wrestle with this. No, Paul is saying, even he who met Christ face to face on Damascus Road struggled with holiness, with obedience, with doing the things that honor God and he keeps doing the wrong. And so there will always be within us this, this war. Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So it's this sin nature that keeps making him do it. And so what he's saying is, in all of us, church, listen to this loud and clear. You are constantly having a war within, between the Holy Spirit and the flesh. It doesn't go away until the day we meet Christ face to face. And so this war within us, Paul talks about in Galatians also. Listen to this. Listen to how close this is. Galatians 5, 16, 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's one instruction. Walk according to the Spirit. Let Spirit rule in you, and you won't give in to the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Romans 7 and this matches up so perfectly. And so what we ought to recognize then is that the deep caution is not that a Christian wrestles and struggles. That's not a concern. That's actually a good thing. That there's a battle. That you're finding this wrestling in you. Why can I not live the way God desires? That's actually a good sign. You don't want to hear what the bad sign is? You feel no war waging within you. Now, maybe 1% of that is you have this incredible amount of grace of God. And you are just like Mother Teresa or living this peaceful conquering, overpowering word. You never wrestle. You never get tempted. But I don't think that's majority of us. I don't think that's any of us. If we don't have this war, it means we have compromised something. It means that we're not, we have given over to the things of the flesh. We've given up. We're not even going to try. We're not going to let the spirit battle within. We are fully in. And so that's alarming. That when Christians are kind of like, la-di-da-di-da, this is the lukewarm Christianity that I, Jesus is talking about in Revelation 3. And so Paul says, here's what it looks like to live in the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and many strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are things that non-Christians are in bondage to. Christians are freed from, but we still can have the old nature pulling us into that. I struggle with these. We see people in the news saying they're Christian prominent leaders, and they all fall. Why? Did they lose their salvation? No, you can't. But you have given over to the flesh. This war continues. So the tension and the battle within us is not a sign that you're a terrible Christian. I'm going to say that again. The tension and the battle you have within you regarding this is not a sign that you're a terrible Christian. It rather, rather, it means that you are in a battle and you feel that desire to do what God wants. And so I want to encourage you by saying, when that happens, don't be ashamed. Don't walk away. Don't ignore it. Don't brush it under the rug. The fight indicates that the war, the spirit is working and fighting with you and for you against the sinful nature. And this is a lifelong process. So here's the bad news and good news. The bad news is that this will never go away until we are glorified with Christ at the end times. But here's the good news. In Christ, we already can claim victory. So let's bring this down. What we cannot do during this battle, we can't condone sin. That is the wrong thing to do. It's so hard. It's my desire. It's my, it's my I love so much. That doesn't mean we condone the sin. <laughs> That's the wrong thing to do. We wrestle with it. And isn't it true that it's always easier to do what's wrong than to do what's right? For example, if I asked you for a week, eat healthy, it's kind of hard to do. But if I said for a week, eat whatever you want, which one's harder? I know. And so Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate that is wide and way is easy and that leads to destruction. 
and those who enter by it are many. He is the narrow gate. And the way is hard because it means dying to ourselves. Uh, William Barclay quotes this Roman poet who says, I see the better things and I approve them, but I follow the worse. That's our nature. We know what to do, but we keep following the worse. So verse 24, Paul continues, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man, man, I am, wretched doesn't mean sinful. Wretched means I am torn. I am excruciating. I am pulled apart. And what Paul is doing here, what is it? Is this not prayer? It sounds just like Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me? Who will rescue me? The psalmist says. It doesn't come from the mountains. It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And Paul says in verse 25, Who will rescue me from this wretchedness? Thanks. Can you read this with me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I hear this. Pastor, as a Christian, I know I could try harder. I could be better. I'm not the Christian I should be. I'm going to work my way up. I hear that a lot. And so I'm tempted to say, go to church, read the Bible, and try harder. But what would Paul say? Paul would say, it's not more human effort that we need in this spiritual battle. It's more surrender. It's more, it's scary, deep trust in surrender to Christ. Well, Paul would say, here is your answer, Christian, who's struggling, who is feeling far away. Go back to the cross. One word to say all this, go back to grace. Grace is what you need again and again. Because grace says this. Grace is the opposite of delivering yourself from this war. Grace is the opposite of self-sufficiency. It's Christ's sufficiency. And so we gather together in grace when we wrestle with this to say, I surrender, Christ, you win. Uh, James K.A. Smith wrote in his book, On the Road with St. Augustine. I love this quote. I will tie it up. Grace is the answer to the call for help. Grace isn't just forgiveness, a covering, an acquittal. Some of us leave it at that. Listen to this. Grace, it's an infusion, a transplant, a resurrection, a revolution of the will and wants. There it is. Grace transforms our desires. It's the hand of a higher power that made you and loves you, reaching into your soul with the gift of a new will. The gift of a new will. Desire. How do we overcome the sinful nature? We surrender to the grace of God and receive it by faith. And we go back to Jesus again and again. Presbyterians have this cool theology. We are both at the same time already saved from the punishment of sin. But at the same time, we are yet to be saved in the future. What does that mean? This wrestling we have will one day be quelched when Jesus Christ comes and we see him face to face. So this morning, I want us to remember grace. Remember that in your spiritual struggle, if you're struggling as a Christian, don't run from the church. Go to the church 
you need accountability, friends, encouragers, support, a body. We need encouragement. We need to hear the word of God. We need to pray for one another and point people back to Christ because it is not strength that brings us holiness. It's surrender. It's his grace. And this is why we take the Lord's Supper to remind us. And so Jesus gathers his disciples to make this illustration of why he came to save the world from sin. But also, he says, do this over and over again. And we do. And we see this bread and we drink this cup. And when we see this, we don't see my power, my sufficiency. We see Christ's power and his sufficiency. On the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body, broken for you, for the forgiveness of sins. And in the same way, Jesus takes this cup and says, this is the new covenant shed for you. It's my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. He's reminding us that our identity, our being, our love is God's loving grace that he paid for, that we couldn't. And he invites us to his table. So at home right now, wherever you are, if you could just take your bread and drink your cup, take your cup, I want to say to us, friends, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us take the bread and the cup. And at this time, um, Bill, Dr. Bill Locke will be leading us in a song And as we meditate on it and reflect on this, surrender in trust to the grace of Christ. We gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame for through his loving son the father makes us one come take the bread come drink the cup come share the Lord we'll gather soon where angels sing We'll see the glory of our Lord and coming King. Now we anticipate the feast for which we wait. Come take the bread, come drink the cup, come share the Lord. For he will feed us with his presence here. This bread and cup will do us good. Our deepest hungers he will satisfy. For he is life and peace and rest and drink and food. He joins us here. He breaks the bread. The Lord who pours the cup is risen from the dead. The one we love the most is now our gracious host.
Come take the bread, come drink the cup, come share the Lord. No one is a stranger here, everyone belongs, finding our forgiveness here. We in turn forgive all wrongs. We are now the family of which the Lord is head. Through unseen, he meets us here in the breaking of the bread. We gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame. For through his loving Son, the Father makes us one. Come take the bread, come drink the cup, come share the Lord, come take the bread, come drink the cup.